This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Welcome back to TV's Top 5, the Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. I'm Leslie Goldberg, West Coast TV editor, and I'm joined, as usual, by my partner in banter and diehard Red Sox fan, Dan Feinberg. Hey, they're on a they're on a hot streak, so so thank you, Leslie, and, and let's not jinx it. But also, happy belated birthday, Leslie. Well, thank you, sir, and the Dodgers won on mine, and we're the first team in baseball to 20 wins, but I'm not going to brag. Uh, you really don't want to. It's a, it's a long season, Leslie. It is a long season, but this is fun, Dan. <laughs> Enjoy it while you got it. I mean, it's not like the Dodgers have struggled the past couple of years. Absolutely fair. And since we're talking about birthdays in baseball, that must mean that once again, it's another slow week in the TV business, Leslie. Oh, yeah, absolutely not. With upfronts around the corner, there's a lot happening. And the overall deals market continues to be absolutely insane. This week, Dan Fogelman, the creator of This Is Us, signed a massive nine-figure deal that sources say put him up in the Ryan Murphy, Greg Berlanti echelon. God, Gallivant producer Dan Fogelman. I mean, that is just so, I don't want to say bizarre, because obviously he created the biggest hit in broadcast television. And possibly the last big hit in broadcast television. Oh, it won't be. There's always a next (laughs) big hit. But anyway, still in all, if you look at his track record before This Is Us, it does not necessarily scream at me, nine-figure deal. God bless Dan Fogelman making bank. Yeah. Elsewhere, Jaden Smith is going to play a young version of Kanye West in a Showtime anthology based on the rapper's Omniverse. This is one of the most confusing things I've ever heard. Like, every one involves a different alternate universe Kanye West or something? I don't know, Dan. (laughs) I'm not sure. I'm not well-versed in Kanye. I'm sorry. Elsewhere, Empire was renewed for a sixth season, and we have kind of an update on the Jussie Smollett front, where 20th Century Fox, which is owned by Disney, extended the actor's option for next season, but currently have no plans to bring his character back. It's kind of like a wait-and-see approach. I don't have a clue what they're doing on that show, and I'm glad we're not doing a full topic on that one this week. Me too. But another interesting topic, speaking of the overall deals market, is Phil Lord and Chris Miller, the guys who did uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, signed their own nine-figure deal with Sony, and as part of that plan, they plan to bring the studio's Marvel characters to TV, which could possibly mean a Spider-Man TV series. I just put so much faith in Lord and Miller that... They have not steered me wrong for the most part, and I don't blame them for Solo. Yeah, and then, you know, elsewhere, one of my other favorite stories, maybe this is the new designated survivor for me, but the creator of Downton Abbey, Jillian Fellows, has a scripted drama called The Gilded Age that was picked up and put in development back in 2012 at NBC, picked up in 2018 to series for a debut this year, and that just moved to HBO. 
And why is that exciting slash interesting to you, Leslie? Because it's just like Smash. Because, you know, Bob Greenblatt bought the show for NBC and developed it. And he is now overseeing, as we've discussed on this podcast before, he's now overseeing HBO and other Warner Media brands. And it reminds me of Smash, my, which is one of my other favorite shows and favorite subjects to talk about, where when Greenblatt developed Smash for Showtime and then decided to leave to go to NBC, he brought Smash with him. Uh, what's interesting here, though, is when the scripts came in for The Gilded Age, apparently all the execs read it and thought that it was better suited for a premium cable network or a streaming platform. And Greenblatt had to go back out and buy it again because there was competition for this. So Greenblatt has bought the script twice. It never made all that much sense on NBC to me, and I, I guess this makes more sense. But really and truly, all that means is is get ready, Dolly Parton, because HBO's a calling. Well, she's busy. She's all over at Netflix, because she and they're doing the exact same thing with, with Dolly that Greenblatt did. Oh, Except, the, you know, he's not on stage playing piano with her. The great Dolly Parton Wars of uh, 2019. It will tear our nation apart. It'll be bigger than the Battle of Winterfell. <laughs> well, with so much going on across the TV landscape, Dan and I are here to go beyond those headlines and into the deep dive topics of the week with all the latest news. Well, let's get into it with our top five this week. Number one. Leading off, it's crunch time at the broadcast networks. The formal upfront presentations to Madison Avenue ad buyers are set for May 13th through 16th. Network execs are now busy reviewing pilots and deciding the fate of scores of bubble shows and trying to make deals. And this is where things get creative, Dan. Well, first of all, let's let's start with the bare bones minimum piece of information because not all of our listeners are versed in the vernacular that we speak. Leslie, tell the kids, what is an upfront? An upfront is effectively where all the broadcast networks and some cable networks and, and ad-supported streamers present their schedules to ad buyers. The hope here is that they will get the advertising commitment and the money upfront, literally upfront in advance. And these presentations are designed to woo potential ad buyers and saying, look, we've got Jimmy Kimmel and we've got Grey's Anatomy and we've got all these bells and whistles and fancy shows and rating spin and social media numbers that don't make any sense. And you should spend your money here instead of, you know, on these other platforms or on video games or on, you know, 18,000 other options that exist in our ecosystem. Well, fortunately, uh, we do not need to talk about all five of the broadcast networks because realistically, we did a pretty good job on the CW last week. We covered that basically they've renewed everything. You get a renewal and you get a renewal. <laughs> and by basically they've renewed everything, not just basically, totally and entirely, they've renewed everything. So that means they have many fewer questions and many fewer bubble shows. Now, first of all, before we get to the individual networks, does it feel to you as if there are fewer bubble shows this year, or is it just that I'm not as enamored of the shows that are on the bubble and therefore I'm not as invested in them? I think it's the second one. Okay. And that's kind of something that we've felt this pilot season where there's just not a, le a level of interest in what the broadcast networks are doing. And it's really not just pilot season. It's just there's a, an, an overall lack of interest in broadcast right now. It seems outside of a, a handful of, of bigger hits like and, and old veterans, Grey's Anatomy, SVU, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is already renewed, we're happy to say. And it's amazing to, to refer to Brooklyn Nine-Nine as a veteran now. But really, it's just a lot of these shows have a hard time cutting through. And, you know, we for us, the, the job is how do we make sense of all of the news that's coming in the next couple of weeks? So 
instead of writing 80 to 100 stories and over the next you know two weeks we do a broadcast one scorecard for each network and we update it when the news comes in because a lot of these shows most people don't know what they are don't know who's in them and don't know why they're being renewed or canceled now interestingly a large number of the bubble shows that i am personally curious about and i will assume that many of the listeners are as well happen to be on abc so let's start going uh one by one through the broadcast networks let's start with abc which not only has bubble shows but also has a new regime in charge so what are we looking at with absolutely them? so this is really where the fox deal comes into play so disney now has dana walden and peter rice overseeing carrie burke who is of course we've talked about extensively in her new role as entertainment president they have a ton of bubble shows and I mean you know the bigger questions for me are the future of this comedy brand modern family we know is going to end next year we're waiting to hear on an episode count but everything that I've heard I, I would expect it to be abbreviated the Goldbergs and blackish are are among the bubble shows the Goldbergs is interesting to me no relation of course but it is one of my favorite shows but it's also owned by Sony which is notoriously tough when it comes to deal making and it's up for renewal the last two years it had a, it was on writing on a two-season renewal as one of its ABC's bigger and more important comedies. It moved to Wednesdays. It, it now supports that lineup. You know, so it, it'll be interesting to see if ABC and Sony can work out a new deal for the Goldbergs and if the spinoff Schooled, which has become quite great recently, too, if both shows will be packaged with anything else that Sony is going to try and do there. And, you know, look, there's a blackish spinoff in, in the works as well about a young rainbow. They've got some really buzzy half hour comedies, such starring Leslie Odom Jr. and Hannah Simone. It's a big question of what they're going to do with our comedy brand. And the comedy brand is really such a strong comedy brand. If I look at the stuff that I watch on broadcast television, a rather ridiculous amount of it is actually ABC comedies. I think I watch eight or nine or ten ABC comedies every week, which is insane. And we'd be remiss to not mention Speechless, which has somehow been a bubble show this entire time. But now ABC actually owns it and it's you guessed it, still on the bubble. Yeah, and as I and this is where the shows that I'm actually I don't want to say worried about, but definitely curious about are like I think that Speechless is really one of the best comedies on broadcast television. Agreed. And it it had a kind of rough start. I didn't think they did very well with the trip to London at the start of the season, but I really thought the second half of the season was was pretty spectacular and. On the other hand, and it I, tells a story that we don't oh, see on TV every day. That it's just it shows like like speechless don't exist. It, it is a valuable show. In addition to being a very good show, the thing I have to say though is that probably the last four or five episodes of the season, which involved JJ getting into college and going in the direction of college, and the family dealing with what their life is without him as their daily focus, they all, to me, honestly felt a little bit like series finales. And I don't know if that was necessarily intentional, just in case they didn't get brought back. They were kind of saying, OK, we're going to make sure we leave you in a good place. And they did without any question. So I'm curious about that one. I think that Fresh Off the Boat is often a very good show. I think this season was a little spotty, but definitely if it kept going, I would continue to watch it happily. And what's interesting there is showrunner Ninochka Khan will be leaving. She signed a big overall deal with Universal Television. ABC now owns that show. It's produced by 20th TV. So your ownership question is, is out of play. I asked Carrie Burke specifically about Fresh Off the Boat, and she said the team there, the executive team is so deep there that they would have a natural next potential showrunner already in-house. So, I mean, the, it's just really a question of reviewing the pilots and, and the economics on, on some of these bubble shows. But, yeah, you know, I could really keep going. As you, you mentioned, Schooled, which I don't think has become great. But I, I love it. it, I, <laughs> it, it I thought it was just like the Goldbergs. It needed a couple of episodes 
episodes to get to find its footing and then it really has found its I think it I think it has gotten better after a rough start it, it I'm still not sure they quite have the heart thing down and the thing where they're interviewing basically random teachers from Adam Goldberg's high school and high school experience that doesn't really work for me as I, well as I it miss works the on footage. the original I miss the original footage it just doesn't have the personal connection but it's still it still is an entertaining enough show single parents is I think a a likable show so there's that and uh, bless this mess so Liz uh, Merriweather has two shows that are kind of on the bubble at and ABC. she just re renewed her overall deal at 20th which means that she is in fact part of the Disney fold and which could potentially help both of those shows yeah. Uh, so I guess uh, quickly, what is this? What is Shonda Rhimes moving to Netflix going to mean in terms of the ABC Shondaland shows before we leave ABC behind? Well, I mean, it, it hasn't affected anything this past season because she was already gone. But the bigger question for ABC now is, are they going to be able to keep their TGIT branded Shonda Rhimes block on Thursdays intact? Because you've got a couple of, of very bubble dramas. So Station 19, the, the firefighters themed Grey's Anatomy spinoff, just let go of its its showrunner, creator Stacey McKee, left. So sources say that they're searching for a new showrunner if they are going to renew that that for a third season. Then you've got For the People, the legal drama that's been, well, I think the case on that may already be dismissed, I fear. How to Get Away yeah, with Murder. That's a legal reference. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Find me for the dad joke on Twitter. In a larger sense, you know, How to Get Away with Murder is showing its age, likely to return. It's entering its sixth season, which is typically when the original contracts for the cast expire. It wouldn't surprise me to see a, a final season announcement for that. Grey's Anatomy hasn't been renewed yet. Those deals are in progress, but there's no way that that, that show will run as long as Ellen Pompeo wants it to run. So that is the TV's new Supernatural. Let us move along next to CBS, which has a lot of questions, but also continues to be broadcast TV's generally most watched network. So what are the big questions for CBS? Well, there's a massive hole for on CBS's schedule next year, and it's called The Big Bang Theory. This month, the, the series from Chuck Lorre will end its run after 12 seasons. It finishes as TV's longest-running multi-camera comedy. It's also television's number one scripted comedy in the all-important Adults 18 to 49 demo. And, I mean, this is a show that is still going strong numbers-wise and could have easily come back for another season should Jim Parsons have wanted to do that, but he didn't, and it's ending. And now it's... You know, CBS is facing life without its its biggest go-to. So what their comedy brand is next is going to be a, a, an interesting question. Chuck Lorre has a comedy pilot that's expected to go to series. It's Bob Hart's Abishola. I'm pretty sure I'm butchering that name, but Even we don't know yet. Even if you're not butchering that name, that is not a good name for a no, TV show. No, it's not. Show. And it stars <laughs> Billy Gardell from Mike and Molly. But that's an heir apparent on Thursdays where you could have young Sheldon take over at 8. Maybe mom moved to 8.30 and then the new one at at 9. I don't know if you want to keep the, the trifecta of Chuck Lorre's going on Thursdays, but the comedy brand is a big question. Young Sheldon is a single camera. The new the new pilot is a multi. I don't know. It's a question for on that side. And then the drama side to me, you know, what's, what's really interesting at CBS is for the first time in years, they didn't do their big bulk of like 10 or 15 show renewals where they pick up a lot of the unscripted stuff and like six or 10 scripted dramas. So there's a lot of dramas on, on the bubble this year. You've got Hawaii Five O, SEAL Team, SWAT, MacGyver, Bull. Those shows usually get renewed months ahead of upfronts. 
<laughs> Those are actually shows that air on CBS. But that's the, that's their brand. It's a tried and true procedural. It right? is indeed. So, okay, we've talked, I feel like, a lot about New Fox in individual podcast segments, so we probably don't need to dwell on it, especially since, as we said last week, probably their biggest question as they were heading forward is what the heck to do about Empire. So what questions still remain that you're curious about? Well, I'm really curious to see what Charlie Collier does because he's taken two very interesting swings for summer. We've got the show within a show, 90210 reboot. And then he just picked up something this week called What Just Happened, which is a scripted talk show hybrid spoof of the after show format, like Talking Dead. But it comes complete with a fake drama. So they're going to be interviewing like cat, fake cast members on this show that doesn't exist. I mean, it's a swing and it's going to air in the summer with 90210. And I'm really curious to see what Charlie is going to do in the fall. And Fox is going to have the baseball playoffs, Major League Baseball playoffs, go Dodgers, wrestling on Fridays, Thursday night NFL, animation on Sundays. The big question is if The Masked Singer is going to move to the fall after being a big hit this midseason. I wouldn't be surprised to see The Masked Singer fill up a lot of those scripted holes in the fall and see Fox make a big investment for midseason where it's a little bit easier to cut through. There's fewer new shows launching in midseason. It's a little easier to find an audience. And, you know, on on the bubble show front, they don't have a lot of room for scripted. They have all of these all of these live events, which is smart on their part. That's obviously what the new Fox mandate is. But on the bubble, you've got Lethal Weapon, which is my favorite upfront story from last year. The behind the scenes story of that is far more compelling than what's happening on screen. I would watch that show within a show. And then the Orville with from Seth MacFarlane. So MacFarlane's overall deal is is up this year. It's a big question of where he's gonna go next. I wouldn't be surprised to see him leave twentieth especially considering the offers that he's getting and the kind of si- the size of the deals that are out there. But then again, Family Guy is a multi-billion dollar asset that Disney just inherited. So good question there. And last but not least, that would be NBC, which all things considered has renewed, I would say, most of its stuff, but not all of its stuff. What is still in question as we look forward to NBC? On NBC, the bubble stuff, Blindspot is probably their biggest question mark right now. It just got pulled out of May sweeps and it'll return closer you know, to the summer where the ratings expectations are a little lower. They don't own it. It's from Warner Brothers, but it's a Greg Berlanti show. Every network likes being in the Berlanti business, but I fear that this may be the end. The bigger question is, this is us. You know, Fogelman just cemented his big overall deal there. I think we will see a renewal for This Is Us imminently. I'm told that it could be possibly for three more seasons, which would take it to it possibly its endgame. Fogelman recently told THR that he thinks that the series, which has just finished its third season, is at its midpoint. Three season renewal, three plus three. There's your math. Elsewhere, the other bubble stuff, there's a lot of, of freshman shows that, that we just don't know. I mean, Abby's The Enemy Within, I Feel Bad as DOA, the lead booked a pilot. And honestly, I'm still mad about Trial and Error. <laughs> that show was great. So anyway, for all of your upfronts based needs, you should definitely check out our network scorecards and all manner of breaking news that Leslie will be basically killing herself next week for uh, to provide you with all the information you need as a fair warning. And we'll mention this again at the end of the show. Chances are good that we will probably not have a podcast next week simply because the end of next week is insanity. But because we still love you, we may have two podcasts the following week, one kind of going over what happened 
happen during next week, which is Hell Week, and then one going again, network by network, answering some of the questions we just raised. So yeah, lots more Upfronts coverage still to come. Yes. What's next? Mark your calendars. May 10th is the day you will get a ton of news on, on all, all of these bubble shows, a lot of the pilot pickups, a ton of cancellations, I'm sure. I think the day is largely known as Bloody Friday. So bookmark THR.com slash Upfronts and send pizza. Number two. For our next topic this week, Hulu delivered an impressive amount of news at its upfront presentation in New York that came complete with a slew of information. The streamer announced two straight-to-series Marvel dramas, Ghost Rider starring Gabriel Luna reprising his role from ABC's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Hellstrom. Those join a slate of four animated Marvel comedies as Hulu really banks big on Disney. Disney, of course, now owns 60% of the streamer after inheriting Fox's 30% share in that same deal that we talk about every week on this podcast, it seems. Beyond the Marvel slate... Hulu may have found its big little lies as it's teaming with Nicole Kidman and David E. Kelly to adapt author Lane Moriarty's Nine Perfect Strangers. But that's not all, Dan. There's some <laughs> renewals, too, and they're good ones. Comedies Pen15 or Hulu's Penis and Rami have both been renewed for second seasons, and those join A.D. Bryant's Shrill on Hulu's 2020 slate. And it really feels like the streamer has found its comedy brand. I think it's been a terrific spring for Hulu. And I think that we all kind of got a little bit, I don't know, dismissive or judgy when Hulu decided to move Handmaid's Tale out of its normal spring birth to summer. And we went, ha ha ha, they're running away from Game of Thrones, ha ha ha. And somewhere lost in that, Hulu's had a really, really good spring in pretty much all realms i would say that the comedy realm is the most easy to point to because yeah, three three critically adored shows yeah with 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 hulu's penis and rami those are two of my favorite shows of the spring just period not even new shows and i think that shrill to me shrill was a show that definitely still needs work and it still needs development and it still needs to find its voice but it was still extremely promising i think that is come back for i think it's a, getting a couple extra eight, episodes i believe is what they're doing so yeah which is probably good because it six felt really short and then you also have the act which is both very good very disturbing very interesting and also is likely to be an emmy contender and that just wrapped its season finale this week too yes uh so emmy contender for patricia arquette and joey king so yeah they've got all of those things going and that's before they get to their biggest thing of the entire spring, which is coming in a couple of weeks, which is Catch-22 from George Clooney, sort of kind of from George Clooney. I don't Clooney. know. Is that its biggest thing? I, I feel like the, the Clooney dog gets people to watch TV in theory, provided you don't happen to mention that he's kind of barely in it and didn't actually create the show or direct the first episode. But definitely it's George Clooney's Catch-22. So. Yeah. And I mean, he was <laughs> supposed to star originally in one of the lead roles and he was going to direct, I think, the bulk of those episodes wound up taking a step back getting a reduced role hugh laurie is in it kyle chandler's in it it doesn't lack for star power but i i wonder have you seen it yet dan i have seen one episode uh and and it is yeah we, we'll talk more about it as we get a little bit closer is what i'm gonna say on that's that what, <laughs> what that's the sound that dan makes when a review is embargoed <laughs> Yes, that was my embargo noise. Also, I believe uh, Tim Goodman will be reviewing that one for us, but I will definitely still have opinions on it because 
it really is going to be a, a somewhat big deal. People are going to talk about it. Yeah, definitely. And then there's, of course, Handmaid's Tale coming back in June. Which they've already screened for people, again, embargoed and already given out episodes. So really and truly, the episodes were completely and totally ready in time for a, a April slash May premiere. And they really did decide they weren't going to go. Yeah, this against is Game of Thrones. without a doubt. <laughs> as, as we reported, this is them avoiding Game of Thrones. But a lot of people did that. I mean, NBC scrapped a live TV musical because they had it slated to air opposite the Game of Thrones finale. And maybe hair wasn't right for them. But at the same time, you know, Hulu is not alone in, in kind of ducking for cover around uh, away from the dragons and company. Yeah, Tim Tim Goodman and I did a back and forth uh, this week for the magazine and also online talking about spring TV kind of in the shadow of Game of Thrones. And there's really been a lot of good stuff to watch on TV in addition to Game of Thrones, but I still don't think there's any question that Game of Thrones has sucked a lot of the oxygen out of the room. And that's just how it goes. And really, it's probably good for the strength of television in general. There's a show that people want to talk about that much that they're also willing to run screaming from it. So it's not like it's a bad thing for the television landscape, but definitely it has it has cast a long shadow. Yeah, as, as I think I've said before, this is what Game of Thrones is doing with every single episode is a pop culture event. It's unlike I've ever seen before. So, yeah, let's let's move along, though, because we'll talk more about Hulu as we go forward. Number three. For our next topic, Dan, it's time for a network check in or as you like to call it. What the bleep is up with Paramount Network this week? Kent Alterman, who took over the former Spike TV from Kevin K, outlined his plans for Paramount Network 2.0. So this is again, this network was rebranded at, from Spike TV last year, fired the executive Kevin K, who had been with Viacom for 20 plus years and replaced him with the Comedy Central president, Kent Alterman. So this week, Paramount Network ordered a dramedy called 68 Whiskey from the Brink showrunner. And it's teaming with Spectrum, our other favorite topic, uh, for a drama called Heaven of Hell. And it's developing a third project starring Michael Chiklis from Breaking Bad's Michelle McLaren. Alterman did it in his first round of interviews. And I really am struggling to tell what the difference between his vision is and what Kevin Kay's vision is. Well, the primary difference, and this is from reading your interview, which one can read at HollywoodReporter.com, is really just that they know one thing that they can point to as a success. And, and that was what I got out of the out of the interview is basically Yellowstone's a success. So that's what we're building our network around, which is totally fine and valid. It's what you want to do. It just is not in any way what the network was being built as when Yellowstone was part of an alleged profile. And now the profile has simply become Yellowstone. Yeah. And look, <laughs> Yellowstone was the very first show that Kevin Kay picked up specifically developed for Paramount Network, which is Viacom is trying to make that into their big, broad entertainment hub. And Kevin Kay was trying to rush it and really trying to program that network with a lot of shows that were developed for other Viacom brands, specifically developed by Keith Cox, who was Kay's number two and is now Alterman's number two at TV Land. So shows like Heather's, Nobody's, American Woman, these were all developed by TV Land and aired on Paramount Network and were all canceled. And one thing that Alterman did say this week was that bringing those shows over was a mistake. Well, I mean, water is wet. <laughs> <laughs> we know that bringing those shows over was a mistake because they're not over anymore. Thank you. Yeah, I was struck in your interview You when you asked him to kind of do postmortems on things that failed by his rather stock. Oh, no, no, I prefer to look forward and not to look backward, which I understand is a is a business related principle. On the other hand, it's it's sort of a business related principle that I don't really 
respect particularly much. I, I would have liked for some introspection on why Heathers was such a both general mistake, but also the specific way they handled it was an even more specific mistake. I mean, delayed twice. And then when they finally decided to air it, it was around Halloween in a binge model over like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday when they knew nobody would be home. And then they didn't air the finale because, spoiler alert, if, and unless you've seen the original Heathers movie, the school explodes. Yeah, it, it was a miscalculation from the get-go. It was a miscalculation that should have been avoided in the development period, then a miscalculation that should have been avoided in the series development period, and then probably at a certain point, people should have washed their hands and walked away. And they tried to sell it, you know, to another platform. Everyone passed. USA Network, Freeform, Netflix, all of them passed. Um, there were a couple of international buyers, so that maybe they got they recouped some of the costs associated. But, you know, in, in a larger sense, Alterman's new direction is basically, as you put it, they want more Yellowstones. Basically, big, sweeping, broad dramas with a big character at the center, likely someone who has a name recognition value that aren't set in L.A. or New York. And also, though, moving back in a male-centric direction. Once you have Kevin Costner and Michael Chiklis as the poster boys for your network, you're making a particular statement. It just happens to be the exact opposite of the statement that they made when they were bringing in the Alicia Silverstone show and Heathers and all of that. So, But Alterman did say that, that they are now 50-50 gender parity in terms of their, their audience. But like... I, I mean, are, are women tuning in to watch Yellowstone, a, a, a country, a family? What is it? I have never even seen it. It's an it's an epic family drama, and it probably is one of those things that's your uncle or father's favorite show. And I think that's I think that's a perfect. But not your mom or your aunt's favorite. Not inherently. The thing, though, that perplexes me is okay. So maybe you want to say we're fifty fifty gender split, whatever. But and that could be true. If, you know, if they say it's true, it's true. Maybe, but. This came out of Spike. So the male audience was there and they made this specific decision to clear out that audience with a bunch of shows that failed. And now they're trying to go back to that. I, I don't know. It's very confusing. And then me. on the unscripted front, all the Spike holdovers are doing well. Bar Rescue, Ink Master, and they ordered a spinoff this week of Bar Rescue called Marriage Rescue, which joins Wife Swap, the re yes, Wife Swap, the reboot of the old ABC unscripted show that was originally earmarked for Viacom CMT that moved to Paramount Network. So now they basically have Wife Swap and Marriage Rescue. Uh, I mean... I don't know. It, but it's just it's a strange thing because they went so aggressively into one brand like to shift from Paramount Network version 1.0 to Paramount Network version 2.0 as quickly as they have done. It makes one raise an eyebrow. That Definitely. Is. And there's other announcements to come. So this will be a network that we continue to keep our eye on. And look, you know, Alterman's a good exec. He's done some great things at Comedy Central. We'll see what he does. Number four. For our fourth topic this week, we're going to go to another of Leslie's fantastic interviews. She had a conversation with Netflix's uh, content and originals VP Cindy Holland, and it was timed to a big week in news for Netflix. When is it ever not a big I mean, week in news like for Netflix? It really is every week. But this week, you know, the, that interview was really pegged to the season three renewal of On My Block and looking at Netflix and its approach toward inclusive programming after one day at a time. Yes, so lots of good stuff in that interview and lots of big stuff in the news front from Netflix. So let's start probably with the biggest name 
at Netflix these days, and still probably one of our biggest names in, in America, the Obamas. Yes, the Obamas revealed their very first slate under their Netflix overall deal. And it's really about what you would expect. Uh, there's a documentary called American Factory that screened at Sundance. Did you catch that one, Dan? I uh, caught it and reviewed it. It's it's decent. I, some people really, really loved it. It's basically about a Chinese company that buys a factory in a struggling Ohio factory town and they're sort of doing this as a as a big gesture to to prove that they can help bring the town back, bring the factory back. But naturally, lots of culture clash ensues. Uh, I, th I thought it could have used a little bit of focus work, but still is definitely full of a lot of important thoughts about basically American capitalism in uh, in 2019. So it's it's definitely a thing worth checking out. Yeah. On top of American Factory, they ordered a drama series called Bloom that is set in the post-World War II world of fashion. There's a feature film adaptation of Frederick Douglass's Prophet of Freedom, which won the Pulitzer Prize in history, a scripted anthology called Overlook that tells the stories of people featured in the New York Times ongoing obituary column of the same name, a kids-targeted preschool show, a nonfiction series from the big short author Michael Lewis, and a feature-length documentary about the disability rights movement. It's very on-brand for the Obamas. It is, and they're, but they're not having an on-camera participation in any of these, right? Not that we know or of. Or at yet. least not they've said. Okay. It's not like Barack Obama's going to be presenting. I mean, an interview show with Barack Obama I would watch, but I don't know if that's something that, that they will do at this point. And Netflix honestly has, has kind of struggled in that space too, but that's a topic for another day. And I'm sure we will talk about it at some point. Yeah, so that, that sounds like a lot of interesting stuff. And, you know, Netflix signs all of these all-around deals, and then and then we get these big bursts of news, like when they announced the eight or nine shows that Shonda Rhimes was developing as part of her deal. So Yeah, and we still haven't seen the full slate for Ryan Murphy. We know a couple of things that he's doing. Kenya Barris, we don't know what his slate is, is either. I mean, Marty Noxon's over there. Yeah, there's there's a lot of content that they're working on with some some really impressive names. Well, let's talk a little bit about your interview with Cindy Holland, which I thought had some interesting things to say, uh, particularly about, as you mentioned, the renewal of On My Block and the cancellation of One Day at a Time and and continued Netflix's somewhat perplexing, not quite evasiveness, but not quite specific or concrete willingness to give ratings in the most vague terms. So explain how she explained to you why On My Block is a success and will continue to come back while One Day at a Time is not. Well, the quote that she said that, I, and, and look, this is a hard, it was a, probably a hard interview, but to, you know, hats off to Holland because she did this interview with Grace. She didn't try and dodge the questions. She, of course, they don't reveal ratings and that's fine. But the one thing that she did say was that On My Block was, quote, orders of magnitude bigger in terms of audience size growth than one day at a time. She also revealed that they probably shouldn't have picked up a third season of it because the growth between uh, one and two and two to three wasn't really worth it. And that, you know, she kind of patted herself on the back a little bit for giving the show three seasons, because at a certain point, she thinks that that it, if it were on broadcast, it may not have even gotten picked up or even renewed after its first season. So take of that what you mean, what you will in terms of a, a, an overall audience. But, you know, her, her quote was, um, but at some point we do need to look for other stories to tell that can garner bigger audiences. And, you know, I asked her also how much ownership played a role. As we've, we've mentioned, One Day at a Time is produced by an outside studio, Sony. It's a multi-camera comedy, which is typically cheaper to produce than a single cam. But that's something that, that Holland said, you know, they really just look at 
at audience growth and the economics of something. So she mentioned that ownership had no role in it. And I think On My Block is probably cheaper for them. Most of that cast is, you know, at, at the time when they picked it up was an unknown. They own the show. I mean, you know, I don't want to put you in the spot. Did you buy that? I did. Because I mean, I, I don't. The, the one piece that I don't understand is the single cam versus multicam because multis are cheaper to make. That's why a lot of broadcast networks do them, and they have a bigger upside. That's the one piece that I that I didn't understand. But you know, she was as candid as she could have possibly been. I was a little unsure about the about the claim that ownership had nothing to do with it, which she definitely said she didn't hedge and say, oh, it was part of the tapestry of decision making processes. But she then said, again, maybe she's, you know, look, I've, I've been known to, to buy into spin sometimes. But, you know, when you have an, an exec who's candid and I tend to believe them when they're doing a candid interview versus speaking and talking points and which Holland really didn't. Then again, you know, the crown, which is, uh, well, pardon the pun, their crown jewel is also produced by Sony. So maybe she's protecting that relationship. I don't know. And I think obviously, and we've talked about this countless times, you know, the crown is whatever it is, and we have no clue what its ratings are or anything else. It is still one of those things that it's in the awards conversation all year round and all of that. So it sort of serves the secondary purpose beyond just whether or not people are watching it. And, you know, anecdotally, I think I have a stronger sense that people are watching The Crown than one day at a time, but that doesn't mean a darn thing uh, in the same way that magnitude orders of magnitude bigger in terms of audience size growth is <laughs> like I can't even begin to put together what the algebra equation would be that would allow me to solve for X in that case. There's no Dan. It was my understanding. There was to be no math <laughs> completely understood. It was an interesting interview. And then we had. Uh, well, but I mean, yeah. one, one last point that I that I do want to touch on is, you know, I asked her about the efforts to save one day at a time and if Netflix would loosen its grip at all on any of its restrictions in the contracts for the for the show that would prohibit it moving to another streaming platform after CBS All Access expressed interest in picking it up. And she was very firm. No, they paid for the show. They paid to have what rights that they have. They will continue to have all three seasons on their platform. And I mean, this is them protecting themselves from co from competitors. I mean, I, I don't fault them for that, but I also it's it's eye opening to know what what their strategy is. Her, yeah, the the frankness of her answer on that question was, I think, the interesting thing because I don't think it's I don't think it's wrong. Like when we say, oh, Netflix would get so much good publicity if they let the show go to CBS All Access. Well, that's not quantifiable. You can't put math on that. You can't go, oh, it'll make us want to hug Netflix more. Whereas if you look at it on a business level, there's absolutely no reason for them to want to let it go to CBS All Access. You know, even if it becomes a hit on CBS All Access, well, Netflix doesn't get anything out of that. That's not. Yeah, and they're supporting <laughs> and they're effectively sending more subscribers to CBS All Access. Yeah, and that's their business model is to get subscribers. <laughs> Why would they do that for a competitor? Yeah. On a, on a purely pragmatic and business level, there is no reason for them to want to do that, even if people on Twitter are still going on and on about how good it would make them look. That That's not. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, if you're interested, Norman Lear and Rita Moreno wrote an incredible guest column for this week's empowerment themed issue of THR's print edition about what it's like to be canceled by Netflix's cryptic data. So it's a must read over on THR.com. And I think that'll be our last shameless plug of this podcast. Maybe not. Well, Dan, we've got Critics Corner coming. Hey, let's get right into that and plug some of your reviews coming up. How about that? Sounds good. Number five. Dan, this week, Netflix launches animated comedy Tuca and Birdie, starring Ali Wong and Tiffany Haddish. 
dark comedy Dead to Me with Christina Applegate, Linda Cardellini, and James Marsden. HBO has Chernobyl. And Lucifer makes its long-awaited debut as a Netflix original after being canceled at Fox. Dan, what you got? Well, I've only watched a little of Chernobyl. Uh, Tim Goodman reviewed it and reviewed it positively. It is a harrowing and dark stuff, as one would expect a drama about the Chernobyl meltdown to be. I will definitely be watching more of it, though, because it features a remarkable cast and is extremely well-made, albeit unpleasant and probably not a thing to watch while you're eating. This week's two biggest releases, as you mentioned, are, are Tuca and Birdie on Netflix and Dead to Me also on Netflix. And I think they're very well timed because one of this spring's stories when we haven't been covering Game of Thrones has been all of the different series finales, many of them relating to shows that are female centric, many of them relating to shows that focus on female friendship. So Broad City is the clearest example of that. But the finale of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend made it very clear that the creators of that show view it ultimately as a show not about a woman looking for love, but a show about female friendship. And certainly You're the Worst has a healthy vein of that, etc. So this is Netflix this week saying, hey, if you're missing some female friendship comedies, we got a couple for you. Tuca and Birdie, it is not intentionally designed as a successor to Broad City. But if you look at the two archetypal characters, both birds voiced by, as you mentioned, Ali Wong and Tiffany Haddish, it really is Broad City featuring birds in a fictional animated uh, city called Birdtown. It is from Lisa Hanawalt, who is the character designer, artist, uh, and also producer on BoJack Horseman, which is one of my favorite shows in all of the world. And it takes a little while to kind of recognize how different the sensibility is at work here. BoJack Horseman is deeply introspective. It's brooding and depressing and yet still very scathingly funny. Tuca and Birdie is much brighter, much livelier. The characters are much freer with their emotions. And honestly, I watched 10 episodes and I smiled for the entire time. It, it is it is just such a pleasant show to watch. It's not going to be for everybody. It's, you know, it's aggressive, but it's a pleasant show to watch. Yeah, speaking of it not being for everybody, the creator did a great interview over on THR.com <laughs> in which she encouraged men to hate watch her show, which it's a great interview. So if you like interviews with forthcoming showrunners, definitely check that out. If, and if you're going to check the show out, too, there you go. I, I don't, Shameless plug again. I don't think it's a show that, honestly, most men are going to hate. It is very clearly a show with a female perspective. Uh, but honestly, I think you have to be... You have to be more than just a man to hate watch this. You have to be a man with a certain degree of of dismissiveness towards female points of view to uh, to want to approach this show in that way. It's a show about friends. It is very funny. It is very affectionate and it's silly. It's a little bit gross in moments. There's a whole episode dedicated to the main characters, quote unquote, sex bugs. So, yeah, it it's a lot of fun. Uh, Dead to me is not nearly as fun. Um, Disagree. It, it's not unfun. It's just not fun in the same way. It is a show that I really can't go into any depth on because the do not spoil list for the show is crazy town. It is a ridiculous list of things that we're not supposed to spoil about this show. All that one can say is that Christine Applegate plays a woman whose husband was killed in a hit and run accident. Uh, she meets another woman played by Linda Cardellini at a grief counseling session and mysteries, twists and turns ensue. I think that as a mystery or a thriller show, it's sort of so-so. I think that as a show about 
two slightly off-kilter eccentric women becoming friends in a very particular and difficult time under particular and difficult circumstances, I think it's much better. And I think the Linda Cardellini and Christina Applegate are both fantastic and that neither one I don't think has ever had a part this good. And both of them have had plenty of great parts but maybe not this central, this focused, and this meaty for each of them. So they're both great. I really didn't care about the mystery aspect of it. I, I didn't care about the mystery at all. I've seen, I've binge watched it twice now. It's twice? Twice. Well, what that's what you get. What time do you have, Leslie? That's what you get when you binge watch something without your wife. You have to watch it a second time. <sighs> um, but look, I, I thought it was really great. I, I didn't look at it as a mystery thriller. I just looked at it as a, as a comedy about female friendship. And Christina Applegate is, has never been better. It felt like an amalgamation of all these different roles that you've seen in her over the years all coming together. And I mean, I'm not a critic, so make of that what you will. But... <laughs> I, I thought it was a lot of fun. No, the, the things I like about it, I like a ton. And the two performances really are just great. It does think of itself as a mystery, though. And and it really does. Every episode builds to a cliffhanger. And in almost every case, I knew what the cliffhanger was going to be about 15 minutes before. Right, but you don't care. To me, I didn't care about the cliffhangers. I just cared about how do you what's the response to. And I think that's fine. I just think the show wants you to care. And I and I don't think and clearly neither one of us did, but there are definitely reasons to watch the show. I, you know, I strongly recommend those two performances enough that I recommend the show around it. So there are two good female friendship shows, both on Netflix, both 10 episodes, both half hours per. So really and truly, you can binge one on Saturday, one on Sunday, and that's a weekend. Yeah, considering you've already seen Avengers and you can probably finish before Game of Thrones. So there you go. Oh, is that show still on? Yeah. Yeah. And I think you did another podcast this week. You you joined our, our buddy Josh Wiggler over on Series Regular to talk all about the Battle of Winterfell. Yes. Josh Wiggler and I uh, talked about Battle of Winterfell, who lived, who died, etc. for a, a, a meaty podcast where we also complained about whether or not the show was too dark. Yeah, well, check that out over on THR Series Regular Podcast. That's it for us this week. If you like listening to TV's Top 5, be sure to check out Josh's Series Regular and Scott Feinberg's Awards Chatter, which next week features Fleabag favorite Phoebe Waller-Bridge as Emmy season gets into full swing. Dan and I will be back Monday, May 13th, with a special supersized installment of TV's Top 5, getting into all of the broadcast network's upfront news and cancellations and renewals and surprising pickups and pilot passes and everything you got and then we'll be back again two for one on friday may 17th so you'll get twice as much for for missing us next week for Does that free make sense? twice as much for free <laughs> for the amount you're paying for this podcast all bonus content and until then be sure to subscribe on your various podcast platforms and if you like us, please rate us on those podcast platforms. If you really like us, please write a review and talk to us on Twitter. We're happy to talk. Uh, also, we're always eager to do mailbag segments. So if you would like to send questions to us, that would be TV's top five at THR.com. Email us. We'd like to hear from you. Until next week, Leslie. Until next week, Dan. 